often people forget the single most important application on all of those dimensions, confidentiality, integrity and availability, is Active Directory. Without Active Directory, you cannot fulfill any of your business outcomes because none of the systems will work and nobody can connect to those systems. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. With the explosion of cybercrime and its impact on business operations, organizations are blowing the dust off old disaster recovery plans that have changed little over the years to recast them to comprehend cyber incidents as well as the classic disaster scenarios. But at a business level, disaster recovery is part of a larger concept, operational resilience. What is operational resilience? How can companies improve their operational resilience to better withstand impacts to their operations? Joining me today to help us understand operational resilience is Simon Hodgkinson. Simon spent 18 years working for BP in a variety of global roles, the last being CISO. He also advised the BP board and has shared his expertise on numerous technology and diversity forums. Prior to his CISO role, Simon was the VP of Infrastructure and Integration Services, where he initiated the program to move BP to the cloud. He was accountable for a complex technology infrastructure in 80 countries, supporting 75,000 users across 600 offices and included critical national infrastructure. Simon is also a member of the Semperus Board of Advisors. Welcome, Simon. Thank you, Sean. Delighted to be here. Well, I'm very happy to have you because it's such a relevant topic today. The listeners of this podcast are probably quite familiar with the topic of disaster recovery in general and their specialty around disaster recovery, whatever their application is in particular. But help us understand what operational resilience is and how does that differ from disaster recovery? Great question, Sean. Um, I think disaster recovery is is fairly narrow in its definition, and um, it is about uh, simply recovering applications or infrastructure. And um, I think typically people view disaster recovery scenarios in a a very um, small time window as well. Operational resilience is much broader than that. Operational resilience um, includes things like how do you, what sort of governance do you put in place? How do you do operational risk management? Um, what are your business continuity uh, management plans? How about your third party supplier risk and how does that affect your operational resilience? And it also encompasses information risk management, so cyber risk as well and uh, an IT risk, so a much smaller element of the whole. And, and finally, I would say operational resilience includes things like crisis management and exercising. Um, now, to a degree, disaster recovery does include um, scenario testing and exercising, but it typically is done 
again, in a much narrower sense of a, an application or piece of infrastructure being recovered and, uh, and not how does the business continue to operate and, uh, and, and manage its resilience um, when a, a trigger event occurs. And of course, cyber could be a trigger, but so could a health and safety event, so could a, 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 a environmental impact. Um, so I, I would describe disaster, um, disaster recovery being fairly narrow and operational resilience, um, looking at the whole system effect uh, of keeping the company running. So an operational resilience team or organization has many, many different aspects to it, all rolling up into the broader requirement to, uh, as they would say, uh, KTBR, keep, keep the business running. Yeah, correct. I, so, so you would include everything from your risk management function, your executive team, your board. They need to understand risk. They need to set the risk tolerance and uh, the risk appetite of the company. It includes uh, even down to things like procurement functions that are setting commercial agreements with third party suppliers. So making sure that resilience is built in um, into those contracts with those suppliers or indeed if a single supplier is insufficient to manage a particular risk to the business, then having diversity of supply. And there's been some interesting cases, actually, um, certainly in my, um, my career, where cyber event, uh, a cyber event was a trigger to an impact to the third party supplier. Um, and uh, the impact of that to, uh, to the company was an inability for that supplier to deliver service. Now, actually, that had the knock-on impact of the business not being able to fulfil its business outcomes. So that could lead in, a, say, a retail, um, a retail organisation that's using logistical suppliers to get product to, uh, to their retail stations. That could lead to stockouts and um, an inability to, to have product to sell to your customers. So you've got to really take a much broader perspective. So even when you talk about cyber or information risk or IT risk in context of operational resilience, you've got to look at the supply chain as well. Oh, it's, you know, it's certainly if anything, the last couple of years has taught us it is the vulnerability of the supply chain. And you can see how this fits into operational resilience. So recently, the US government is proposing to find Colonial Pipeline a million dollars here in the US, um, because essentially, they shrug their shoulders on the idea of operational resilience. And, and specifically, instead of actually planning to manage an incident and limit its scope, when malware hit their IT systems, they simply shut down their process control networks that were not affected, essentially saying, we're not going to, we're not going to focus on operational resilience. We're just going to shut it down. Uh, how is this a lesson for the operational resilience in the disaster recovery community? I think it's a really interesting scenario. And, and I would say, sadly, uh, there are many organizations that don't really understand the impact to operational technology um, as a result of a of a cyber event. So my view of that is it starts with proper risk management. First of all, the, um, the, the organization needs to understand what risks it's managing. 
Uh, and then what risk appetite it's prepared to have. So it could be if they'd gone through a a, a proper um, risk discussion, it could be that the outcome of that was we don't want to put any mitigating actions in or we, we are simply going to shut um, the operational technology off in the event of a, of a cyber attack on, on, the, um, on the corporate IT systems. I don't agree with that, but that could have been a formal conversation managed through risk management that came to that conclusion. Now, ideally, uh, organizations that are managing critical um, national infrastructure or criti critical supply would do a, you know, much more thinking into, so what do you do to put mitigating controls in place of that? And, and what is your business continuity management plans? So, for instance, if you understood there was good segregation between your networks um, in your operational technology and your um, IT systems, you may have been able to make a decision to shut that connection down, but to keep the operation actually running. So actually not to shut the, op shut the operation of, of supplying uh, fuel through the pipeline, but actually to sever the connection between the IT and the OT network as a mitigating control whilst you uh, address the, uh, the, the, the cyber issue in your, in your corporate IT network. If people had gone through appropriate planning, um, that would have come out in the conversation. And interestingly, we did a lot of work at BP around understanding what we would do in the event of a major cyber event like a NotPetya type attack. We tested what, uh, what we were able to do in terms of shutting down the, the networks between those environments to have anomaly detection in the OT network. So you're, when you shut them down, you're sure that there was no malicious software in that environment as well. But we would have been able to keep the operations running whilst we addressed the risk in the, in the IT network. We'll say it didn't happen, um, but we'd gone through the, uh, all of the scenario testing to make sure we had that capability. I think we understand uh, in, within context, OT, is that operational technology network? What does OT stand for? Yeah, operational technology. That, um, that is typically the technology that runs your pipelines, your rigs, your refineries. I mean, everything today is digitized. So everything from the human interface that the engineering community are managing in those environments through to the data systems, the process control network. So OT is a bit of an all-encompassing term that just refers to those things in the industrial environment, if you like. Very useful. I would, I will say, Sean, just to build on that, um, a lot of the technology in those environments is not like your IT environment. So it's got different network protocols. So it's not simply taking your traditional IT security stack and layering it into the OT networks. That that's not possible due to the different platforms. And of course, in many of those environments, they have critical safety issues as well, safety risk as well. So you have to be very cautious what you do in those environments. And, and sometimes um, you can't put preventative controls in place, but you can put mitigating controls in place. Right. Yes. Very, very different protocols, different applications, entirely different operating systems. It's a different world. Indeed. In the beginning, I mentioned updating traditional disaster recovery plans to comprehend cyber incidents. Has operational resilience 
in organizations been updated to integrate cyber into their processes? I think part of the issue at the moment is cyber is still seen as special. And if you think about it, cyber is just a trigger for a business impacting event. Cyber incident could cause a uh, a kinetic effect. So if you were to attack, say, a um, an oil rig or a refinery, you could create a kinetic effect in those environments, creating a, a, an explosion, an environmental impact, loss of life. So, so you know, cyber could a trigger for that, but so could many other things. And I think the problem with um, with the discussion around around cyber is it's always seen as um, it's okay that risk is being managed by the cybersecurity team or the IT team. I'm not seeing that as an issue of, of people on the business continuity or the operational resilience side. I see that more of an issue from the cybersecurity side. We need to demystify cybersecurity and be able to describe the the impact of the business outcome that the business are trying to achieve in a way that engages that operational risk and operational resilience organization um, to uh, so that you can put appropriate um, controls in place. So I, I think whilst we still have quite militaristic language around cyber, people tend to throw around sort of terminology, malware strains or, or threat actor names, etc. It still continues to make it feel like this is special technical thing that actually only the cyber and IT guys can, can manage. And I think that's a huge mistake. Um, once you've got the business understanding the risk to their business outcome and owning the risk, you can then put appropriate resilience mechanisms in place. But it's very difficult in many organizations that I see through engagements I've had since leaving BP, actually. Um, that conversation is still held in the cyber and IT world. Are there cultural barriers from the traditional or called the operational networks or the operational engineering uh, world towards uh, the IT world or the cyber world that it's not um, that we're we're on different networks it doesn't affect us it's you know another world it's a pretty significant issue I would say um, at the moment and um, it's it's getting better I think they're, they're seen as different specialities and yet you know it's only when those two the, the cyber element the engineering team come together can you put appropriate um, controls in place because I'll come back to even procedural work in those environments uh, you get some of the major industrial control systems manufacturers that still use maintenance processes which involve um, suppliers turning up with PCs or USB sticks and plugging it into technology. And of course, we would we would throw our hands in the air if that happened in the uh, in the <laughs> IT and in the IT world. Yeah, there's a lot of issues to deal with, but I think the first thing is breaking that barriers down. And, and what I've seen work really well um, in my experience at BT, BP was bringing the engineering team into cyber and the cyber team into engineering, and and actually bringing those expertise together, and potentially giving people career paths um, across both of those areas. So so inevitably, then in the cyber team, you've got people with real world engineering capability and in fact my lead in BP 
uh, managing that whole area. He came from an engineering background. Um, so he knew about sort of more of the procedural aspects where perhaps some of the um, some of the uh, new people to um, cyber in OT were still scratching their heads, wondering why we couldn't just put AV on everything and um, an endpoint detection and your t- traditional anomaly detection solutions in place. So I think it's more of a, 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 a I think cult, you, you use the term cultural. I think, yes, maybe. I think those barriers are being broken down. But I think to accelerate that, it would be how do you converge those two skill sets into, into a common organizational construct? Probably the fastest way of addressing that. So cross-pollinating across the groups and then using the background to do reality checks for the other people that may not have that background. No, look, let me explain to you, this is what this world is really like, not what you think it is. Correct. And I remember, let's be absolutely clear, my background is 35 years in in IT. So when I um, first took my steps into the OT world, it was very different. And I remember talking to the engineering community about why is it taking you know, time to deploy these controls. And it's only when you sit down and see what they're dealing with, you can really understand that from a priority perspective, cyber is important, but actually maybe it's not their number one priority. Maybe safety is their number one priority and making sure that people who work in dangerous environments get home to their families safely at night. So um, I think it's about, you know, again, really understanding the context in which you're in which you're working. I'm, I'm curious, Simon, when you were learning about all of this, did they, did they ever say, hey, come on out to an oil platform and we'll show you what IT looks like on this side of the world? I would have loved to go. And I was very close at one point, but uh, the weather stopped me, uh, stopped me going. Um, but in reality, we had um, great simulation capability uh, where you could, uh, where we trained our engineers in, in um, well, I, I guess like uh, the equivalent of flight simulators, if you like. Um, we had uh, we had simulators for our um, our, uh, our our engineering environments that we could go and uh, and see how the controls were um, looking in there. But I did send people off to site. Um, some of my team. But again, you have to be really sensitive to getting on site. Um, There's a lot of procedural elements to that because, of course, you know, you need to be really securing those environments. Um, And um, and uh, and obviously, like I said, those those uh, those engineering teams are typically managing safety critical things as well. So you've got to use their time wisely. So the simulation environments were typically where you know somebody like me who was a who was a leader or a manager and not going to get his hands dirty would have uh, would have seen uh, us in action rather than going out to uh, to site but i did uh, we did run a number of conferences with the engineering um uh, guys and um and you know it was a great opportunity to to talk to them uh, about you know um what we could do to to help facilitate the rollout of controls in those environments so, you know, we talked about cross-pollination a little bit. Are there learnings from the operational resilience world that people focused on their piece of disaster recovery, uh, let's say, I don't know, Active Directory, should be incorporating into their planning? How, how can DR people 
use the viewpoint or use an understanding of operational resilience to improve their plans? So I think it's all about context again, Sean. I think the the thing about operational resilience is you're looking at the whole system, really. So what is the what is the business trying to achieve? So what are the outcomes that we're we're trying to fulfil? Like I said, you know, use the example of of, of a retail organisation. You got to get product on the on the, on the shelves to be able to sell it. Um, I think often business um, uh, disaster recovery is very isolated. So all you're thinking about is your particular application. Yet, if you think about, you know, a lot of organizations go through an exercise. Well, I hope most organizations will go through an exercise if they already haven't of understanding what those business outcomes are. How does the business process support delivering those outcomes? What is the technology that sits below that? So from the applications down to the infrastructure and and in doing that, understand what are the things that are most critical to them from a confidentiality and integrity and an availability perspective so that you can, you know, you don't have to to put the same level of um, controls or recovery capability indeed in place for everything you're you've got a mechanism for priorities for prioritization but really interestingly i think often people forget the single most important application on all of those dimensions confidentiality integrity and availability is active directory um, because act, without Active Directory, you cannot fulfill any of your business outcomes because nobody, none of the systems will work and nobody can connect to those systems. And and I think there's still some naivety in, in, in the view that that's OK, we're in the cloud. But uh, a lot of people don't recognize when they're thinking about their individual application from a DR perspective that actually you're, you, you, know, you don't live on an island, if you like, you, you're connected to many things. And at the very core of that, whether it's cloud or whether it's, um, whether it's on-premise, traditional on-premise environments, at the very core of your ability to operate and therefore deliver the business process, which then delivers the outcome, uh, is Active Directory. I'm not going to argue with you uh, on that. I, I certainly think that uh, when, when we get together with organizations and deep dive into their active directory uh, disaster recovery planning, inevitably, I mean, this is in some of the largest, most sophisticated organizations, there's a moment where they go, oh, yeah, right, uh, this application, we can't do that because this application depends on active directory. So thank you very much for your time, Simon. I appreciate the insight into operational resilience and to where this fits in a larger context. We tend to spend so much time uh, focusing on our particular technology and our little piece of the world. After all, it's all designed to support the business. It's The world is not just Active Directory. They're not just identity. It all exists to support the business in general. And you've really helped us understand that at a higher level. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com 
That's H-I-P-C-O-N-F dot com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.